0: Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Kristen. I'm your host and life coach, and this is Modern Day Asians. This week, I've invited my friend Ivan, who is Asian-Australian. Ivan currently lives in Sydney, Australia, and his ethnic roots is Chinese. His family escaped communism, had fled to Vietnam and eventually settled in Australia. During the process, his family changed their last names to hide from Chinese communist leaders. In this episode, we talk about his family's excitations with their retirement, his relationship with his dad, how his family was impacted from gambling, and at the end, Ivan is looking for support and understanding how to not Feel responsible for people's feelings. Let's get to it. In spirit, with the holidays coming up in the states, food is one of my most favorite time during these celebrations. First and foremost, I am not in charge of the cooking, but I do appreciate a good authentic Chinese meal made by my mom. So I've been asking others what their dining experience is like during the holidays.
1: Dad's a cook, so he generally cooks Chinese food. However, my parents can cook Vietnamese food as well. Uh, preference, I ate a lot of Chinese food when I grew up. So uh, with my parents, we would actually go out to eat Vietnamese food a lot more than Chinese.
2: Mm.
1: Mm, yeah. And Chinese uh, Chinese food seems a little bit more oily, whereas Vietnamese food is more fresh. Mm-hmm. And that's why we tend to go eat uh, Vietnamese food around here.
0: Yes, more fresh and light and Chinese food is so various. You have so many, <laughs> so many flavors. Uh, my mom is Chinese. Yeah. She likes to make Sichuan. So chili peppers and mm. everything if possible. <laughs> so my, my palate is pretty heavy on the the red pepper spices. Mm.
1: Yeah, I love Sichuan. <laughs> yep. I love that, that, that type of spice
0: yep yep so um with the holidays coming up uh i don't know well for us we're celebrating thanksgiving but what kind of food do you guys traditionally eat when it comes to any holidays
1: Mm, yeah generally my dad would probably buy like soft shell crab and make wontons Uh, yeah something along those lines yeah i think um my sister loves eating peking duck, so she'll he'll make peking duck pancakes, um, and yeah, like sang choy bao as well, um, the the lettuce with the pork, so or the duck. So yeah, that's generally what we'd have as like a special occasion,
0: Yum, kind yummy. of meal. Mm. My family will usually go pretty heavy on the seafood as well, so we'll eat a whole fish um like and toss in some kind of black bean sauce my favorite is shrimp um we'll have uh we'll have balsa and dumplings and um my mom will probably throw in you know obviously like vegetables and things like that like stir-fry vegetables as well and I this, I know this is a random question but what is <laughs> what do you think about raw vegetables like a raw carrot this something I had to get used to a little bit
2: (laughs) yeah okay
0: okay glad to know it's not just me (laughs) (laughs) but uh okay cool just a fun little segment to um just to see if that was just something that that I had unique perspectives around but we'll get we'll get into it um Ivan I would like to ask you How you started your self-development journey? What kind of external factors was happening for you to start looking inwards?
2: Mm,
3: Yeah. Well, I'll start off with
1: maybe in 2018, I was speaking with a friend and one of my best friends, and he said that I was, I was lazy. And it really shocked me because in my head, I was thinking, wow, you're the laziest person I know. So you're calling me lazy. And it was a really big reality check. And from that moment on, I started to remember my dreams that I had, and I started to to pursue them. However, I was pursuing external, uh, external results. And it wasn't until maybe end of 2019 that I really realized that I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what really resonated with me. And that's when I started going inwards. I started to understand who I was. I uh, started to discover my values in life and understand what kind of meaning and purpose I want to live. In in my life, and that's that's when I started to move towards uh, coaching.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for mentioning that. So, I'm curious, in your upbringing, did your parents push you towards certain fields of study, or wanted you to be a particular profession um, as you start to becoming of age?
1: yeah for sure like standard chinese asian parents yeah my parents uh really wanted me to do really well in education and they wanted me to you know be a doctor or lawyer engineer whatever whatever got me a safe amount of money in in the world and and yeah, and they spent a lot of money on tutoring for me. I actually went tutoring probably from my whole life, from kindy to year twelve. I got tutoring every year for all sorts of subjects. So they really wanted me to do well in education,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. But they didn't have a specific job that they wanted me to do. They just wanted me to be uh, to make enough money to to be safe, to survive, to to live. comfortable life Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. did you attend university did you end up attending
1: yeah i I ended up attending university i wanted to do engineering but i didn't get into engineering so i i did industrial design which is product design which i liked and i finished but then i realized i didn't want to work in the office i didn't want to work for other people and that's when I started to figure out what else should I do what kind of business I wanted to create Mm -hmm. because I knew creating a business and being wealthy that way was the only way that I could the only way I could retire my parents and look after them when I was older
3: Mm. especially
1: with the kind of uh more lavish and experiential life that I want to live I definitely needed a lot more money than what a doctor or a lawyer was paying
0: yeah yeah and you mentioned something that kind of hit at home for me too as well Um, and that is my parents saying how I am their retirement fund I'm the eldest out of uh two in my family so there's a total of three of us and I remember at a very young age that there was an immense amount of pressure uh, that was very clear. And I remember my parents telling me how hard it was to raise three children and they couldn't wait to retire. And that I owed <laughs> them a bunch. <laughs>
1: yeah, I feel you. I feel you in that one. And, and I was like, yeah.
0: And I was like, how do I even spell retirement? Like I, I even understand <laughs> the concept of retirement. And I mean, that was just how young I was. Uh, I didn't know how banks operated. I didn't know, you know, in the States it's called 401k or any of that or investments. I, I didn't know, I didn't have any financial literacy. Um, what, what that even looked like. So when you had said that, what is your perspective on your parents' expectations? What did they communicate with you? And why was it so important for you to meet that goal?
1: Yeah, I I feel you, Kristen. When I was probably, earliest I remember, I was probably like seven that they would have said said something like that to me. So I wouldn't be surprised if I came out of the womb and like they started saying <laughs> that already. Uh <laughs> Yeah. What what did I make that mean? I feel like I meant that it, it meant that I had to look after them financially when I came of age. And I think I decided when I came of age, it was probably like 27. In, in my head, I thought like, oh yeah, 10 years after high school, that's plenty of time, <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah. So looking after them financially and just thinking of a lot of the things that, throughout my early twenties and teenage years, I was thinking of, oh, what a great way it would be to support them financially is to pay off the home. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because um, my father had a gambling debt a, a few times over hundreds of K that we had to refinance the home. So I thought that was probably the most satisfying way for me to actually give back to them as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, two, one thing I wanted to share as well is the gambling and how common that is in Asian culture. Cause I also had uh, a relative that struggled with gambling. Actually it was my stepdad and um i can see how big of an impact it is because being in the and my background I was around a lot of that casino entertainment industry and i guarantee you not a lot of times even when you're rural real rural areas guarantee you go to a casino you will mm. find yourself some Asians there
1: yeah for sure The areas that I live around here are, there are a lot of Asians, a lot of Chinese, a lot of Vietnamese. And if you go to the RSL clubs here, so like the smaller clubs and they have like pokies and yeah, pretty much gambling. It's just full of Asians, just full of Asians. It's like a culture around you.
0: It is. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but yeah, that's sounds like a topic to dive deep down into later on because it's, it's just everywhere. Um, And I really think it has to deal with the good luck, the fortune, you know, just betting against odds and the whole culture of, you know, Chinese New Year, where you're wishing for massive amounts of fortune. And it's just an addiction within the community itself that Maybe previous generations, not our generation, but the generation before and before that's done a lot of damage to family lineages because of all that stress of how do I come up with money and support a parent that has gambling debt and still keep myself afloat as well and, and meet my needs? It's so hard to balance and such a big issue to take on and then you factor in like saving face too as well and no one else knows mm-hmm. about this but the family itself right so within the family you don't want to publicize oh the dad has the gambling issue because that brings shame upon the family so now you're just trapped with this huge secretness can't talk about it with anyone else it just stays within and you mm. don't
1: get any support from that Yeah. Yeah, I really see that that story in in my dad, my father because with with Asians, we were not really taught mental health, right? Well, I wasn't taught mental health when I was growing up. So now that we know we we get to live in a more educated society that we know what gambling does to you. We know how addictive it is and for the last generation that don't know that they kind of get stuck and it kind of gets a, into a, a deeper loop because yes there is a lot of shame they need to provide and they just keep doing what they know so they can possibly get good fortune and maybe you know provide for their family
0: yeah 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 exactly um but uh thank you for sharing You know, a little bit about your past and just wanting to support you and your future. What are some challenges that you're facing now that you want to get more clarity within?
1: Recently, I've been thinking about how I feel responsible for other people's feelings. And yeah, there's something that I would like to delve deep on
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah thanks for bringing that up so let's go back to seeing when is your most earliest memory of being responsible for feeling responsible for someone's feeling and you getting a negative maybe reaction or feedback from it
1: mm. yeah it would probably most likely be from my my mum and yeah it was it was probably when i was really young and this was this is something this is a wound and in in a child wound that i've been processing and what it was is like when i was like probably 7 that i had a lot of pressure to perform I had a lot of pressure to get good grades so that i can be on track towards that University degree to to be safe and make a certain amount of money, um, and that pressure. That pressure made me. Yeah, it it was just too much pressure for a, a seven year old, and I felt. I felt pressure pressured as well to show my my mom the results I got if I didn't do well because I know that she would get angry or she would yell at me. So I think that's when I started to understand or not understand, but that's what I, that's when I started to think that I am responsible for my mom's feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where it started.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I can also relate to that too, as well. Um, There's a, just reflecting on in the past for me, if i have I had a bad grade on something and I had to get my paper signed, and if it wasn't a hundred, I remember the first time I forged my mom's signature on it because I didn't want to get spanked
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I actually got caught <laughs> <laughs> I got caught, and the teacher told me to get that just that one piece of paper re-signed the one with the bad grade on it
2: Mm.
0: and I can't remember what the bad grade was I just know it wasn't a hundred obviously but I'm just reflecting on like how high the stakes felt even when it's something like that isn't so high stakes does that make sense
1: yeah yeah I totally feel you
0: and how integrity already is starting to form because of a fear of how someone will react all right because mm. i don't want to you know I, don't, as a kid i'm already start forging signatures <laughs> stuff like that yeah so i'm starting to develop bad habits just from like that pressure thing that you were just talking about mm. Mm. so i totally get where you're coming from because i think from such a young age we are already starting to be trained uh performance equals some kind of a parent's reaction it's either really good or really bad
1: Mm, yeah yeah as you as you told me that story i i remember i would really think about all these different ways to get out of trouble yeah and then yeah i'd be overthinking just to just to strategize ways that i can like get hit less or not get in trouble at all so yeah that really resonates with me kristen
0: yeah yeah and taking that a little bit more down the path it's like it's moments like this when we start training our minds to go in anxiety mode at all times and i catch myself in present day being like i'm constantly scanning for danger because i'm I'm going through scenario a a through c through z on in case anything bad happens so i can avoid anything unpredictable so i have this like huge control mentality so that i mm-hmm. don't um for this fear of getting into trouble i've been operating like that for a lot of my years in time Mm. so um how does that relate to you as you make your decisions being in the present are you also an overthinker as well
1: yeah i'm definitely an overthinker yeah yeah Yeah. i definitely get anxiety and and i overthink a lot um yeah sorry
0: yeah so coming back to present day why is this something
3: you want to take a look at?
1: Hmm. I want to take a look at this because I know that I was very unconscious in the past. I was very unaware. And a lot of this overthinking was running my life and it was creating the these types of unpleasant feelings that I don't want to self-inflict on myself because I overthink and made all these scenarios and this imagination it's not even real, right? And that would spark unpleasant emotions, which was self-inflicted. So now that I am more aware and I do catch myself with the anxiety and I'm, I'm more wise in terms of what I can do when I feel anxious. I definitely want to feel more safe and not overthink to to control my environment to feel safe. And the reason why is just to have more space and be myself and be free instead of being tied down by, oh, I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to get punished. Um. yeah and that, that fear that comes with the, the overthinking the anxiety that that's really controlling how much I can express in my life
0: yeah yeah so going back to your first question about clarity around why you feel responsible for people's feelings and bringing that back to your current relationships with your friends your family your girlfriend how does that affect your relationships with them now with this current way of thinking
1: Mm, yeah I would hold back on saying
3: certain things and what's the fear behind that if you did Mm. The fear would be if I say something that hurts
1: the other person, they would feel unpleasant and it would mean that I'm a bad person.
2: Oh.
3: And other than your mom,
0: who else has this happened for you? you had your mom as a reference have you had another experience similar where you were bad unpleasant feelings equals that you're a bad person
1: no not that i can recall
3: i definitely yeah i I can't recall
1: at the moment I i don't know when i started bringing this into my relationships
0: Yeah. And what would happen now that you know? Because you typically, your pattern is typically to hold back out of fear that you don't want to make them upset and that'll make you a bad person. And what happens if you continue to do this and and do nothing about this particular pattern that
1: you? I think it would put myself under a lot of pressure to keep a lot of things in and it would stop me from speaking my truth yeah it'll bleed out in in terms of not speaking my truth and overthinking on everything that i have to hold back saying and it's tiring it's exhausting and i can see myself blowing up with all that pressure it's to, to hold everything in so yeah yeah
0: yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that and that you know what would happen if you don't do anything about it. And yeah. um some ways of if you hold it all in is passive aggressiveness. Um, you might feel more irritated than usual, not having much patience for certain people. They do the smallest things you'll mm. just get triggered for some reason and you don't know why
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. <Yeah.
0: laughs> it could just be like the their presence and then you just get triggered because you're holding mm. all of that inside.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. Like I I do feel like I have passive aggressiveness and I do hold things in and I get do get triggered randomly and I would you know release a little bit of the anger but it's not directed it's not even about that problem and in saying that i know that i have this tendency to not start conflict i think that's that's ingrained in me in terms of how i was raised is like like why start conflict if yeah like yeah, don't 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 start conflict because it's not safe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is is what I've been conditioned through my upbringing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I see that too a, a lot. That's common in the Asian community. It's like it's to not blow something out of control or um or fear that if you do face it that you do lose control but a lot of the times people just explode in anger Mm. um, because of trying to keep it all in and you start to inflict pain on other people yourself and it just starts to destroy you inside slowly and no one else knows because you haven't said anything.
2: Mm. So
0: now that you know what would happen if you did nothing about this, How, what are your practices of releasing anger that you are aware of?
1: Yeah, right now the practice I have is channeling that, that feeling, that anger and primal screaming and, um, and getting a, I kind of have this small baseball bat and I uh, smash into the pillow to release that energy, to release that anger. And after I'm able to do that, I can think more clearly. I can understand what the root of the anger was. And yeah, that's, that's my practice at the moment.
0: What has been the root of your anger? Are you seeing any commonalities?
1: So recently I've been working with anger and I realized that sometimes I have anger as my primary emotion and sometimes it's a secondary emotion. And what I mean by that is the anger being a secondary emotion is a protective mechanism to protect a more unpleasant feeling. So in my case, I was, the anger was protecting my sadness because I felt like I wasn't seen and acknowledged by my parents, by, yeah, by my parents. And this this goes back to when I was really young, being the pressure that they would only see me for the bad things, the things that I need to improve on, but never see me for the things that I was great at. So that was the secondary anger that I've been working with. And the primary anger, something that I've been working with is like disrespect. and. I know I can get all coachy and just say this respect is, you know, um, is actually something that I create within, but there is anger around that. And that's something I'm also working with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned something here too. And, and I think a lot of people struggle with this is really, truly feeling seen and acknowledged. And it doesn't matter what background you are. I think for some reason in our just with parenting back then, it's really easy for parents to just dismiss kids and be like, oh, you don't know anything or like be quiet with that, Um, especially when they're so deep in their emotions and people don't receive enough teaching on how to manage those emotions. And so my question to you is, you, you have people in your life right now where you feel like you're holding back when you feel like you perhaps want to express your emotions and actually feeling seen and heard at them. So how can you incorporate changing some of your patterns to where you see, feel more seen, heard, and acknowledged by your current friends, families? network
2: Mm.
3: yeah
1: something that is coming up is that i would acknowledge the the feeling or the truth that is coming up and give myself some space to understand what it is that i want to speak understand what that truth is so i can speak it clearly because i know i got a pattern of people-pleasing in terms of if I'm under pressure, I would just say the right thing that I think other people want to hear. So a pattern of mine is to not put myself under pressure and to give myself that space to process. So I know that what I'm going to say is my truth and what is aligned to me so that the other person can actually hear it. Because if I just lash out in anger, anything the other person is going to know what it is that i'm angry about
0: exactly exactly so let's talk about delivery here because delivery is what people get really scared about because they fear confronting because because people automatically assume hey Mm. it's gonna go for the worst because Mm. you're a lot of times people come out and it's like hey i blame you tell me you're sorry that type of approach. So, with your delivery and um what you've tried in the past before, what's been working for you? What do you think will make it a strong deliverable where you're very clear about what you want to communicate and how do you advocate for yourself at that moment?
1: Yeah, what what's worked in the past is we when we learned about nonviolent communication, I realize that you know taking on that responsibility of my own feelings and saying that it is my feelings and not blaming the other person for causing it, but this is what triggered it. This is what they did to trigger it, but it's not I'm not blaming them for for it, actually takes off the the pressure that I'm actually attacking them, and I feel a lot better in terms of voicing the truth. Because I'm not just blaming everyone, I'm taking hundred percent responsibility for my emotions. And so that has worked. I know if I had a structure or a framework um, that was easy to use, that would be a lot that would be really helpful for me to express, especially in in moments of of anger, it's it's really hard to process everything and then find a delivery. So having that framework, if I could just go through a framework, that would be really helpful.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, you experience anger, sometimes you might need to just walk away from it and then confront them later. Or are you talking about at the moment when you start to feel triggered, what to communicate? Right off the bat, are you? which situation are you you talking about?
1: Well, yeah, both. Because in the moment, if I'm angry, I would like to be conscious enough to let the other person know that I'm angry. I'm going to come back, process why I'm angry, and then come back and tell you in a more structured way, more clear way of what happened and why I felt that way and have a discussion on whether or not there was boundaries crossed or if there was yeah if if there was anything to discuss as a as a relation in a relationship
0: yeah yeah i from the approaches that i have tried there are two things that i feel like it's really important to express and and um an additional one thing to keep in mind for me in my experience i find it really helpful to be vulnerable right off the bat and just say, Hey, you know, this is those happened. This is how it made me feel. And that's the important part is
2: mm.
0: how does it make, how did it make you feel like the true deep meaning of it? Not just the standard, you know, Oh, I feel disrespected. No underneath disrespected is another layer. And usually that layer is you being back as a little child, something mm-hmm. has inflicted a core wound. So that is deeper work that people need to do to truly understand why was it so irritating? Why what did it make you angry? Um, the other thing that I find helpful too when delivering, you know, and approaching this um, this conversation, is knowing that if you come across and you share what happened from your highest self, which we worked on and and we've talked about, but coming from that place where you're really aligned, whatever you say that comes out of your mouth and however that person processes it, if it turns out to be the way that they're not receiving what you're trying to communicate then at that point, sometimes the person's just not going to be on the same page as you. Does that make sense?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. I I like the vulnerable part, like just jumping in and explaining exactly what, like exactly how you feel about what happened. I think that that is really helpful.
0: Yeah. Um. The other thing too is, asking the person what their intention was behind that. So, you know, maybe someone did something and they didn't think about it and I found it rude or disrespectful, but bringing that up and being like, hey, what did you mean by that when you said that? Or what did you mean by that when this or this happened? And get from their perspective what they were trying to implement at that time because sometimes we read things wrong and it could just be the fact that um you know whatever that whatever happened wasn't truly meant to intentionally hurt you which we're really just getting trying to get down to was the other person really intentionally trying to hurt you and Mm. most of the time it's no it was a misunderstanding
1: yeah 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 i uh I definitely resonate with that because I have multiple times asked what the intention was, and it's generally not what I'm thinking or what the story I made up, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just brings a lot of awareness that there is a wound of uh, there is a wound that's being being revealed to me.
0: Normally, you know, something offensive happens. You know, I'll try to, you know, just take a couple of deep breaths, like just to myself, just taking a moment to pause, and then I'll just ask them, "Hey, what did you mean by that? What, what was your intention from that?" And you can address it right off, right off the bat at that time, and then you take what they say, and then you can either choose to process it, you know, process it later and get back with them just letting it letting it land whatever they said or um you know if you feel inclined and in tune with your high self you can communicate back to them what exactly it is that you felt and what you need from that point
1: mm. yeah yeah i i definitely i definitely will i definitely will take that on and yeah, I love what you said about communicating how you felt and what you need to, to the other person because I think that's, that's the key.
0: For sure. I think people try to attempt this process and what they're really good at is they're really good at pointing out, hey, this is what offended me and this is how it made me feel and then mm. they stop and the other mm. person who's maybe not as emotionally aware they'll just be like okay i don't know what to do with this information
1: <laughs> they mm. don't know
0: how to respond they'll say like okay well i guess i'm sorry you felt that way but when it comes down to these type of conversation exactly what you said the key is really expressing like what you need and what the request is so mm. whether that is hey, let's work together to figure out a plan or solution moving forward. What would be the best way moving forward? Or just very strong requests, which is like, please don't do that again, if possible. You know, something along those lines. But those are the two last steps that people seem to forget. And then it becomes a conversation that doesn't really, you don't really feel closure.
1: Mm. Yeah if you express what you feel and what they did but you don't express what you want them to do or even have a discussion around that then they're not gonna i don't think the other person's gonna change because they don't know what it is exactly that they need to do um so there is it does need to be a a friendly discussion around the request part you mentioned request and Request is both part. Uh, the other party can say no, right? Mm-hmm. So having a healthy discussion on something that is agreeable that uh, you can both do for each other.
0: Yeah, exactly. I it is a hundred percent. I believe that is right on point. So we're coming up on time, and I just wanted to open this up to see if there's. Do you feel? Complete and supported on this particular area that you wanted clarity in?
1: Kristen, today you helped me deepen that knowledge and understanding on what it is that I need to practice more in my life. And if I want to move through this anger and expressing my emotions and really speaking more of my truth. And a lot easier, more, more freer that I that I get to do this practice over and over again, and and practice being this this new uh, the fuller version of me.
0: Yep, exactly. And it's gonna take you know time and practice, just like as you're trying to learn to write with your left hand, it's gonna feel mm. a little wonky and unique experience in the beginning but the more you practice it the more you'll start to feel relieved that okay your main issue with your core wound is being seen and acknowledged and no one as you're growing right now no one's gonna provide you that and that you're the only person that can really give you that and so and so putting these boundaries setting boundaries in place speaking up for yourself is going to help you feel a lot more confident as well as healing some of those inner wounds as well
1: Mm, yeah right on for
0: joining us on the show
1: yeah thank you very much for having me on it was an honor and a pleasure to be in your space and yeah you're doing something amazing in the world and i can't wait to see more
0: thank you Well there you have it folks. Thank you for listening to this episode. If this was helpful for you please hit subscribe or leave a review. If you think someone else needs to hear this please share it with them. It is time to start healing as an Asian American community and we don't need to do it alone. Peace and many blessings.